like about, uh, to speak about this evening is discovering spaciousness. I think it is very important for all of us to know how to find sanctuaries of stillness in our lives and in ourselves. To find some kind of sanctuary inwardly, a place where we can turn to and connect with some quality of calm, of spaciousness, of peace. It is in having that very conscious connection with those sanctuaries. This is where I feel we learn how to live in this world without being lost and without being homeless. I think it's in having those connections that we really know how to live in this world in a skillful and in a creative way rather than simply feeling that we are pushed by circumstances in our lives. There's a great art to learning to live with the challenges and difficulties in our lives. There's a great art to learning how to discover lightness, light amidst the shadows and darkness of our lives. There's a great art to learning how to live in a way in which we are not either overwhelmed by the world, nor feel that we have to harden our hearts, nor feel that we lose touch with ourselves. How to live with spaciousness is learning a way of living in which we are able to heal ourselves and to live in a compassionate way. Spaciousness is so much a part of meditation. It's a part of living with calmness amidst the busyness and the stickiness of our world. Learning how to live with a lightness of heart and mind instead of being entangled or imprisoned by the circumstances and demands of our lives. Meditation is described in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's described by its technique or by its form or by its practice. But what is most important in meditation is actually its spirit. Sometimes it's enough to say that meditation is actually learning how to stop in our lives. It's learning how to pause. How not to create some protected little inner sanctuary where we're, we're not concerned with creating some inner sanctuary where we're not disturbed by the world, but really far more concerned with learning how to discover peace amidst confusion calm amidst chaos, and sensitivity amidst the whirlwind of impressions in our lives. It's a very simple art, this whole area of practice. It's learning how to be present. It's learning how to be attentive in a wholehearted way. This most simple of qualities, to be attentive, to be present wholeheartedly, is actually a very powerful sanctuary. In a way, this quality of attentiveness, this willingness, capacity to be present, 
is the most powerful refuge that is available to us in our lives. It's a simple, a simple art, a simple practice. It doesn't take years of training to be attentive. It doesn't take a lot of spiritual credentials to be attentive. It takes sometimes a simple willingness and the reminder to stop, to be here, to be where we are. I think we probably know in our lives that we need to be fully present to love a single thing wholeheartedly. We need to be fully present to listen to a single thing wholeheartedly. Everyone can cultivate this attentiveness. This kind of refuge, this sanctuary, is a sanctuary that is available to all of us. I think sometimes in the complexity and the busyness of our lives, we forget at times the power of attention. As human beings, as parents, our lives are often filled with busyness. We live in a world that can be remarkably sticky. We live in a world where in a course of one of our days, we find our sense doors bombarded by impressions many of which we do not choose, many of which are imposed upon us. We sometimes create that kind of busyness and complexity. Here in the West, it's probably one, you know, one of the features of our culture is presenting relaxation in a way which features somebody reading the newspaper with headphones on, listening to music, um, with the television on one, with the, within eyesight, and we call this relaxing. Sometimes we fill our lives up with busyness and with impressions. And then too often we feel pulled. This is a common a common statement of many people in our world and many parents. Facing that conflict of different demands and different needs. Everybody needs something in our lives. Sometimes many people want different things of us. And living within that busyness, sometimes it seems like we live in a way in which not everyone can be satisfied. We're pulled outwardly by need and demands of our lifestyles and of our children, our work. Inwardly, at the same time, we feel the need to take care of ourselves, to somehow nurture a sense of direction and vision and growth in our lives. And often it feels like we have to make choices. Who's going to suffer? Who's going to be happy? Who's going to have their needs answered? and whose needs are going to be neglected. Many of us talk about experiencing time as a kind of tyrant in our lives, that there is not enough time, not enough space to answer all of the needs that are there. And too, it seems much of our technology is teaches us how to do many things in one moment how to talk on our car phone while we're driving to work, 
and have a talking book operating at the same time. I think, sadly, we experience too often the effects of having an overburdened mind. What is happening when we feel irritable, when we feel tense, when we feel reactive? What is happening when we find ourselves snapping or, or, or reacting to people in our world impulsively without consciousness? Sometimes in that lost, in that busyness, we don't always feel that we are really participating in a creative way in our lives. Instead, we feel pushed. And sometimes we feel like we're not doing things very well. This is so often the effect of the overburdened mind. That feeling of not doing things well not parenting well at times, not being with ourselves in a positive way, not living in the way that we wish to. And I think sometimes in those moments when we feel very overwhelmed, often this thought arises, especially for those of you who have a background of retreats, that thought arises, I need to get away. I need to find some space. I need to be alone. If I can't get away, sometimes the feeling is that I'm just going to drown in the busyness of doing in our lives. And sometimes that feeling of needing to get away is accompanied by a certain amount of fantasy. You know, we remember certainly periods in our lives where we spent long times peacefully on retreat, floating in oceans of bliss, Often we are remembering the last few hours of a retreat. You know, we have fantasies about retreating to a cave or lying on a beach. And I think sometimes in the midst of pressure, we feel, well, the way to solve the problems that I'm experiencing is to do nothing, to have nothing to do, to not be called upon, to not have to have anything to answer to. There is a certain fantasy around those feelings. I think it's probably obvious to us that whether we are alone or whether we are in a crowd of people, the one thing that we cannot divorce ourselves from is the quality of our own being. Whether we are a commuter or whether we are a hermit, the quality of our inner being, our hearts and our minds and our bodies, accompanies us everywhere we go. Spaciousness has much more involved with it than simply changing our outer environment. It does involve a very radical change in heart and consciousness. And I think spaciousness is really not going to be found separate from where we are right now. I'd like to read you a story. It's a rabbi story. The poor man had come to the end of his rope, so he went to his rabbi for his advice. Holy Rabbi, he cried, things are in a bad way with me and are getting worse all the time. 
We're poor, so poor that my wife, my six children, my in-laws and I have to live in a one-room hut. We get in each other's way all the time. Our nerves are frayed, and because we have plenty of troubles, we quarrel. Believe me, my home is a hell, and I'd sooner die than continue living this way. The rabbi pondered the matter gravely. My son, he said, promise to do as I tell you, and your condition will improve. I promise, rabbi, answered the troubled man, I'll do anything you say. Tell me, what animals do you own? I have a cow, a goat, and some chickens. Very well. Go home now and take all of these animals into your house to live with you. The poor man was dumbfounded, but since he'd promised the rabbi, he went home and brought all the animals into his house. The following day, the poor man returned to the rabbi and cried, Rabbi, what a misfortune you have brought upon me. I did as you told me and brought the animals into the house. And now what have I got? Things are worse than ever. My life's a perfect hell. The house is turned into a barn. Save me, Rabbi, help me. My son replied the rabbi serenely, Go home and take the chickens out of your house. God will help you. So the poor man went home and took the chickens out of his house, but it wasn't long before he again came running to the rabbi. Holy rabbi, he wailed, help me, save me. The goat's smashing everything in the house. She's turning my life into a nightmare. Go home, said the rabbi gently, and take the goat out of your house. God will help you. The poor man returned to his house and removed the goat. But it wasn't long before he again came running to the rabbi, lamenting loudly. What a misfortune you brought upon my head, Rabbi. The cow has turned my house into a stable. How can you expect a human being to live side by side with an animal? You're right, a hundred times right, agreed the Rabbi. Go straight home and take the cow out of your house. And the poor unfortunate hastened home and took the cow out of his house. Not a day had passed before he came running again to the Rabbi. Rabbi, cried the poor man, beaming, you've made life sweet again for me. With all the animals out, the house is so quiet, so roomy and so clean. What a pleasure. I think to understand spaciousness, we need to understand the nature of the contracted mind. The mind that has become a casualty of itself the mind which is a victim of its own accumulations. There are, I feel, three factors which contribute to the contracted mind. One is the factor of inattention. To be inattentive, and we know what that feels like. To live with a scattered mind, we are only superficially present. We are, our attention is often very divided. We are trying to be everywhere at once, to be all things in all moments, trying to cover all of our bases. While we do the dishes, we daydream. When we walk, we are planning what happens when we arrive. When we listen to another person, we are already thinking of what we might say in response. This is the nature of inattention. The second factor which contributes to the contracted mind is the factor of accumulation. Accumulating unfinished impressions in our lives, not completing 
that sense of living with incompletion in each moment. And the third factor which contributes to the contracted mind is the factor of dwelling. Dwelling upon things, obsessing about things, being preoccupied with things that have thoughts and feelings of things that have already gone by, that we carry in our hearts, that we are unwilling to let go of. Now we see in our lives there is a constant process of arising and passing. Activities, thoughts, feelings, experiences, interactions, mental states, they all have a beginning, they all have an ending. When we are not really attentive, I think we get very distant and very divorced from those beginnings and those endings. And so we accumulate. We carry one moment into the next moment. Sometimes we collect and we hoard a series of unfinished impressions, things that have gone by that we haven't completed or are willing to let go of. You know, there's that story of, of the two monks out for a walk and that they came to the banks of a river and there was a young woman standing there, afraid to cross this powerful current on her own. So one of the monks picked the woman up and carried her across and put her down on the other side of the river and the two monks went on with their walk. And after a little while, the monk who'd, who'd helped the woman over the river, he noticed that his, his, compa his companion seemed to be pretty uptight, you know, was giving him nasty looks, wasn't talking to him. And he said to him, you know, what's wrong? What's the problem? A few moments ago you were happy, peaceful, and, and now you, you seem to be so, so upset. And the other monk said to him, he said, brother, you know, don't you realize what you've just done? You broke so many vows. Our vows say we can't touch women. We can't be in contact with women. You picked up that woman. You crossed her, helped her across the river. You put her down, and you've broken all these vows. Don't you realize the, the heaviness of this error you've made? And the monk who'd helped the woman across the river looked to his companion and said, you know, brother, I left that woman standing on the banks of the river. You're still carrying her. I think so too in our lives, we often carry what we do not need to carry any longer. And there needs to be a certain skillfulness in knowing what we actually can put down. Does it serve anyone very well? to be dwelling upon and lingering over that which has finished. To begin to seek spaciousness, we need to be aware of what clutters up our minds. When you have sat today, when you have walked today, when you have been with your families today, be aware what have you been dwelling upon. What has been cluttering up the mind? What have been the factors that seem to get in the way of us being fully present? What are we dwelling upon? How conscious have we been in the beginnings and the endings of this day? 
how much have we let go of and then gone into a new beginning in a fully present and conscious way. And to be aware what dwelling and what holding actually does to us. It is suffering. It is painful. When I spent some time in India, a common feature of India is that every time you get on a train, you will be interviewed in an uninterrupted way by as many people on that train who can reach you. And in English lessons in schools in India, people learn a very standard set of questions, you know, that begin with, what is your country? What is your name? What is your age? Where do you come from? Do you have a diploma? Let me see your diploma. How many children do you have? Are you married? Where is your father and mother? This is a kind of standard set that you might encounter, especially on a, say, a 36-hour train ride. You might encounter this actually several hundred times. Well, you know, I remember sitting on the train in India, you know, one of these endless, interminable journeys. And for three or four hours, you know, being fairly patient, you know, I don't have my diploma with me, and yes, my mother and father live here. And just when it seemed to stop for a few moments, somebody else popped up and began with, what is your country? And I remember picking up my sleeping bag and beating this poor young man around the shoulder saying, don't ask me those questions anymore. Of course, for that poor young man, he had never asked me that question before. And what he was getting was the residue of many hours of other people's questions. And sometimes, I think this is the same in our lives, in our interactions with other people, or in our interactions with the present moment, we experience ourselves living out accumulation, living out the residues of what we are carrying. I think what meditation practice really teaches us is actually that we don't need to live in that way. We don't need to live with that kind of burden, that kind of heaviness within ourselves. There are many times, you know, our life is not so, such a tidy arrangement that we can complete everything that we do encounter. We know this. There are many times in our lives when we begin something or we begin an interaction with another person, and when it ends, it remains unfinished. There are times when things are simply unfinished. And this is most importantly, the most important place to be conscious. Because when something has not been completed, that is at times when dwelling most strongly comes in. We are actually being called to move on, to move into the next moment in our lives. And it's so much of a question of how much can we leave that which is incomplete and unfinished and move on in a conscious way to give attention to what needs attention. Sometimes things are incomplete. And one of the feelings that often accompanies that sense of incompletion is anxiety, worry. You know, what can I do? 
I should have done this, I should have said this, I should have been like this. It's a hard lesson to learn that anxiety actually changes nothing in our lives. You know, to appreciate that. Anxiety, you know, some emotions are creative. They are a catalyst for change. Many emotions are creative and a catalyst for change. Anxiety is actually one of those emotions that very rarely serves as a catalyst for change. Instead, it seems to preserve kind of solidity. In this practice, we speak a lot about letting go. A lot, so much, about the need to let go, the willingness to let things be, the capacity to let go. And sometimes letting go is a manifestation of insight. It's very organic. It, it, is, it is spontaneous. And sometimes letting go is coming from a place of conscious resolve. And I think this is an important aspect to appreciate. The quality of renunciation that can come through conscious resolve. So that we know, you know, if you've been in a place and a space that you've been a thousand times before, a place of judgment, a place of anxiety, a place of anger, a place of reactiveness. And maybe you know that place so well, and maybe you also know I'm actually not learning anything from being here anymore. There is a place for a conscious resolve to let go as an act of compassion for yourself not to dwell, not to engage in that which does not serve you well. If we carry incompletion with us, what is our relationship to the moment that we're in? Again, it is partial. Again, it is divided. And again, we are often setting the stage for yet more accumulation. The most difficult things at times in our lives to let go of is the unpleasant. The unpleasant experience, the unpleasant encounter, the unpleasant interaction with another person. This is so often when our minds come in with the, if only I'd said this, if only I'd done this, I should have been like this, this person should have been like that. So often around the unpleasant, we hold on to it like a sore tooth, constantly poking at it with our tongue, unwilling to just let it be, replaying conversations. What we are experiencing in that moment is a very direct encounter with the dwelling mind, the mind that has no spaciousness, and spaciousness is lost in non-acceptance in non-acceptance. A lot of insight is needed for acceptance in our lives and in this practice. And acceptance doesn't mean being passive. It doesn't mean resignation. It doesn't mean condoning the unskillful or the unwholesome. Acceptance really means the willingness to be with what is. You know, peace in our lives is not found in the absence of challenge. Peace is most often found in our lives 
in the absence of resistance and judgment. We speak about harmony in meditation, understanding what harmony is. And harmony is living in accord with actuality. To understand the dwelling mind, to see it when it arises during the day, when a single thought or a feeling is returned to again and again, and in that returning, how we build both a construction and a particular reality for ourselves, for others too. You know, take an example. You maybe had an encounter today that was difficult. Maybe with your child. You know, maybe, you, maybe your child snapped at you or, you know, behaved badly to you. It's very easy to take hold of that, to say, oh, you know, that was terrible. This, you know, sometimes they're just so unpleasant. You know, what have I created here? You know, what, you know is this my fault? You know, what have I given birth to? This surely is not, is not my, my creation. How often in dwelling on that, returning to it again and again, you begin to build a particular picture, an image of who you are, an image of who that child is how it can become a truth. Attention is a sanctuary in that moment of dwelling. It is not that attention needs to come later, but attention is a sanctuary in that moment of dwelling. If you see yourself building up images, building up realities for yourself, to look in that moment, what actually can you connect with that is not conditioned by that dwelling. How well can you listen? How much can you be in your body? How much can you see wholeheartedly? How much can you bring your energy, your attention to all that is involved in your experience in that moment? Spaciousness is something that we cultivate. Now sometimes we think, well, it's important to dwell on things. You know, sometimes if, if things have been difficult or unpleasant, we think, well, you know, the only way I'm going to get an answer or a solution or a resolution is to dwell on it, to go back to it, to return to it, to chew over it. And sometimes dwelling has a kind of valid intention to know when we are not learning. The painful sometimes leads to dwelling, but so too does the pleasant. There can be a kind of addiction to the pleasant sensation, the pleasant experience in our lives. It is an addiction that makes us want to ignore endings in particular. If you notice when you have a pleasant encounter, a pleasant experience, a pleasant meditation, how often the mind comes up with the thought, this is how things should be. This is how things need to be. They should always be like this. How can I make this last? How can I maintain it? How can I recover it? And there's a contraction, a resistance to ending, a resistance to change. Change is intrinsic to our lives, the pleasant and the unpleasant, the difficult and the exhilarating. Both have beginnings and have endings. Spaciousness is found in being in harmony with those beginnings and endings. It's so important 
that we learn how to listen to ourselves and to make wise choices in our lives. You know, we speak so much about insight, developing insight, reaching insight, nurturing insight and understanding. I think sometimes we interpret that as thinking that insight is going to be some grand and mystical revelation. You know, it's going to be a dramatic experience maybe. We all have a wealth of wisdom within us. We all have a wealth of insight that we have learned from our lives, our stories, and our experiences. We know what causes suffering. We know what leads to happiness. If you were to sit down for a single hour and to make a list of what causes sorrow in your life and what brings joy and peace, it would be easy for you. We know this stuff. We actually know it. The hardest part for us is living in accord with our understanding. The hardest part is actually applying the wisdom we already have. In meditation, this is our actual challenge. How to live with wisdom. Not just about how to have meditation experiences, but how to live in accord with the understanding that already lives within us. It is not the many activities or many needs or demands in our lives that consume spaciousness. What spaciousness is lost in or found in is in our relationship to the many activities and needs in our lives. To let go of what is gone by, not to yearn for what is yet to come and not to cling in the present. This is the basic teaching of meditation, the basic teaching of wisdom that we are asked to learn to live in accord with. Expectations drown spaciousness, the shoulds and the judgments and the denials that follow those shoulds. Rejection, aversion, drown spaciousness. Clinging and wanting, drown spaciousness. Being attentive, nurtures spaciousness. Being present, being wholeheartedly awake, willing to learn from each of the encounters in our lives, nurtures spaciousness. To battle with what is, drown spaciousness to live in harmony with what is, nurture spaciousness. Living our wisdom, not clinging, not resisting, is really the key to living with a lightness of heart and mind. There's a story of a rabbi who lived in Poland, very famous. One day a visitor from America, having heard about this famous rabbi, decided to go and visit. He made this long journey by train and by bus and by taxi, expecting to find a, you know, this wonderful scene around this incredibly famous rabbi. He got to this little tiny village where the rabbi was meant to live, and he ended up there, and he, 
he started asking, you know, where is the rabbi? Where is the rabbi? I've come all the way from America to visit the rabbi. And finally, he was directed to this little tiny house on the edge of the village, kind of ramshackle. He knocked at the door, and this old woman answered the door. And he said, look, I've come to meet this famous rabbi. I've traveled a long way. Where is he? The woman said, come in, come in. And she brought him into this very bare, small room with this old man sitting on a chair. And the visitor from America said, but, but rabbi, you know, you're so well known, you're so famous, you're, you're so well known for, for, your, for your learning, for your knowledge, for your understanding. So how can you live in this way? Where are all your things? And the rabbi said to the visitor, well, where are all your things? The visitor said, but I am just a visitor here. The rabbi said, so am I. So am I. To learn that kind of simplicity, how to be a visitor and yet wholeheartedly present, how not to cling, not to carry, not to resist, and yet to be wholeheartedly present in our lives. The teaching of mindfulness is the teaching that says everything matters. It is the teaching that says nothing is irrelevant in our lives. It is the teaching that says that every single thing and every single moment is worthy of our wholehearted attention. Mindfulness doesn't need a special form or a special place or a special time. I think the spirit of mindfulness is partaking of that invitation of each moment to be present, to be awake, to be conscious, to nurture that feeling of being a conscious participant in the creation of each moment and in the creation of our world. May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings live with acceptance. May all beings live with compassion. If we could have just one minute quietly together and then we'll have a break. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.